Hey, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today, we're gonna kinda dive into what does blessed really mean anyway? When I say blessing, what comes to mind? We've just celebrated Thanksgiving, so perhaps it's a long list of the things that you're thankful for. Or perhaps it's a way of feeling or walking in abundance and provision and purpose. Whatever you connect the word blessing to, I think we can all agree we are a people obsessed with it. We have home decor that says blessed. We have a hashtag blessed that shows up on social media. And we've often conflated blessing as prosperous. We've reserved it for moments of joy and triumph or moments that are maybe warm and fuzzy. And when we make that mistake of treating blessing as something that we can attain, it can cause us to pursue it at any cost. And that's kind of the life that we find in the life of Jacob. We're progressing again through the genealogy of Jesus and we come to this man who again has two names, just like Abram was renamed Abraham. Well, the life of Jacob was steeped in deception and manipulation. I'm gonna give you a bit of a background lesson on Jacob and then we're gonna jump in on his adult years. So he's the second of twin boys born to Isaac and Rebecca, and we looked at a moment from Isaac's adolescence last week. And allow me to say it, Esau and Jacob were born into a dysfunctional family. Favoritism won the day in this home, and each parent picked a favorite. Isaac picked Esau the oldest of the boys, kind of a man's man boy. He wanted to be out in the woods doing all of those things while Rebecca picked the younger. She picked Jacob who tended to stick closer to the settlement that they had with the tents. He was the one who really uh, threw himself into cooking. And Jacob kind of lives in the shadow of his older brother Esau. And we see as he grows up that he has this bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's the one who's so desperate to get ahead, he'll do anything. And he does. Jacob, he's a man with a destiny that he pursues at all costs in ways that we see hurt those around him, those that he cares about, and in ways that, as we're going to look at, have him running for his life. So we're going to jump back into the book of Genesis. We're still there for a few more weeks. And it's the very first book of your Bible. We're going to jump in at Genesis 27 if you want to start um, turning there in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, if you pull out your phone or an iPad and you search version, Y-O-U version in your Bible app, it's a great Bible that you can download right on your device. And we're going to kind of camp out at three different moments in the life of Jacob where blessing is spoken over him. But first, let me pray. So God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us. You care so deeply. And you promise that you're a God who is active in our life. You are a God who blesses his people. So this morning, as we look at the life of Jacob, would you help us to understand what that really means? 
that you are a God who blesses his people? As we look at the life of Jacob, would you reveal to us the ways that we've got this all twisted and and the sin that we've allowed to stay there because we've bought into lies of (laughs) treating you as less than who you are? So Holy Spirit, would you go before us right now as we look at this man who wrestled you, who was blessed by you, Would you speak, Holy Spirit? Would you allow the words birthed in myself just to float away? But Spirit of Truth, would you speak? We want to hear you in your precious name. Amen. Well, let's do a quick recap of this moment that we come to in Genesis 27. So we know that favoritism wins the day in this household of Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac is now on his deathbed. And he's asking for his oldest and his favorite son, Esau, to come to his deathbed in order to bestow upon him a blessing. Now, we don't really do this um, in our Canadian culture, but the blessing was kind of like a last will and testament moment. There were practicalities associated with the blessing, but there was also this spiritual component where a father would often prophesy or pass a spiritual mantle on um, in this moment of blessing. Now, a birthright, we see Jacob steal that from Esau for the price of a bowl of stew um, earlier in Genesis. The birthright was reserved for the oldest son. It was a moment of inheritance where the oldest son was um, entitled to a double fold, a double portion of the inheritance that everyone else was getting. And that was reserved for the eldest son. The blessing, on the other hand, could be given to anyone. Whoever Isaac had chosen to bestow the blessing to could receive it. It didn't um, get determined by family position like the birthright, but still Isaac chose his favorite, the eldest son Esau, to put this blessing onto. Now, favoritism wins the day in this home, and we see that each parent chooses a different son to become favorite. And so, of course, Rebecca knows what's about to occur. She knows that Isaac's on his deathbed. She knows that he's called Esau in order to bestow this blessing on her, on him. So she goes to her favorite. She goes to Jacob, and they figure out this way that they're going to together deceive Isaac, who's lost his sight, and pass Jacob off as Esau in order to steal this blessing. So they go and they get a goat and they prepare Isaac's favorite meal and they get Esau's clothes and they dress Jacob up in them, going even as far as putting the skin of a goat over Jacob's arms that he will represent by sight, by smell, and by touch his very hairy brother Esau. They go to great lengths in order to deceive Isaac. And that's where we pick up here in Genesis 27, verse 27. And we're going to read down to verse 30. So he went to him and kissed him. So Isaac's kind of put Jacob through all these different tests because he kind of feels like something's up. doesn't sound like Esau. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. 
Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. How often do we feel the need to push our own agenda at all costs? Rebecca comes to Jacob and, and he's like, I want to do this. I'm going to be cursed because of it. And she willingly takes on the consequences of this deception and she does face consequences of it. She'll be separated from her son for the rest of her life. And Esau, knowing Jacob has stolen his blessing, is enraged to the point of murder. He is going to wait the time of mourning, but then he has a plan. He's going to get his blessing back by killing his brother. And so while they're all in this state of mourning, Jacob goes on the run for his life. And by scheming and manipulating his way to the blessing, he actually puts himself further from it. He's going to serve for the next many years of his life rather than be served. He will be far away from the brothers that he's supposed to lord over. He is on the run, not standing in authority in the position that the blessing dictated. Now, I wonder what the blessing would have been had Jacob just trusted God. Because God spoke these words to Rebekah when she was pregnant with these twins in Genesis 25, 23. Two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. God had a plan for Jacob's life. And I wonder what it would have looked like if Jacob had just trusted God, if he had just surrendered to God's plan and timing for his life from the beginning. Over and over and over in the Bible, we see people try to help God. They try to fast track what God has for them. They want to get to the end of the road. They want to get to that place of promise, to the fulfillment of their dream, but on their own timeline, with their own idea of how it should be done in their own way. And friends, it always turns out poorly. Jacob is not the first and he won't be the last. And we can give into this temptation too to make things happen, to come alongside and help God to get to the fulfillment of the things that he's put in our hearts to do, the purpose he's laid before us. And when we decide that we can manipulate our way to the promise, when we determine that we can help God, it always ends up poorly. We will hurt the people we care about. We will find ourselves doing things that we never in a million years dreamed we would. We will end up running to places we never planned to go with death and destruction nipping at our heels, trying to stay one step ahead of the fall. When we try and manipulate our way to the promise, that's when our character outruns the calling of God on our life and that always leads to a fall. God doesn't need our help. He is sovereign. And so off Jacob goes and he's running for his life. He's running to Rebecca's brother Laban. And the plan is to stay there temporarily, allow Esau to kind of cool off, to lose some of this edge of anger. And then he'll return. 
And along the way, he stops to rest one night and God reiterates this blessing. So turn with me to Genesis 28 verses 10 to 15. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, where he reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. At his worst, God speaks blessing over Jacob. At his most unworthy, God speaks promise. At a time when his future seems so unclear, when his life is on the line, when death is literally nipping at his heels, God calls Jacob to more. God reiterates the blessing of Isaac and God repeats the promise he made to Abraham. God calls Jacob to something greater than himself, but nothing changes in Jacob's life. Jacob follows the plan. The plan he laid out in a moment of deception and manipulation. He's just going to wait it out at dear old uncle's house. And he continues to walk in ways of manipulation and deceit all the way through those years. Even with God himself speaking directly to Jacob, he's unwilling to change. Growing up, I remember how much I loved going to camp and retreat, youth convention. And in these moments, it was so easy to hear God speak. It was so clear and so full of life and love and purpose. And I'd be in this place where I was surrounded by the presence of God and it was so easy. And honestly, in those moments, everything else paled in comparison to being with God. But then I'd get home and walking out the day to day of my faith, that was hard. Those mountaintop moments didn't always translate to the day to day of my faith. They were real, absolutely. And God was so gracious towards me, but they were easy. I, like Jacob, had to learn what a daily surrender meant. I had to learn how to stay close to God in the hardness of life. And unfortunately, Jacob doesn't lean into hard, he just sits on easy. And he continues to walk out the next years of his life holding on to the promise, but walking in his old identity, the deceiver, the manipulator, and finally, once again, as he kind of maneuvers situations to suit him, the tensions surrounding Jacob and his family get so bad that he needs to go on the run once again. And he determines that now, this time, it's time to go home. But there's one problem. Esau is still there. 
and he doesn't know how he's going to be welcomed. But Jacob, the manipulator, he has a plan. He can connive his way around this. All he's going to do is he's going to split up all of his possessions and all of his family into different clusters, different groups. And then, hopefully, as the first group comes and they shower Esau with presents and gifts, and then the second group comes and they shower with Esau with presents and gifts, he'll feel more and more merciful as this pile increases. That he'll forget his anger. And if that doesn't work, you know, it's okay. Because those that are closest to Jacob's heart, they're furthest down the line. And so as the different groups kind of find out that Esau's just slaughtering them all, at least those that Jacob loves most will have the best chance of escape. Talk about family dynamics on repeat. So Jacob gets this plan all figured out. And before he heads out the next day to see Esau, he goes off on his own to spend a night seeking God. And we're gonna pick up this passage in Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the, fo the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with human beings and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Once again, God in his grace shows up in Jacob's life in a profound way. And he's about to bring the blessings that have been spoken over him in a time of deception, in a time of ease, to fruition. He's about to do something that will change the course of the world. He's about to birth a nation, the nation promised to Abraham. But it won't come out of manipulation and deceit. And it won't come easy. It won't come as Jacob walks in his new identity. No, the fruition of this promise will only come out of wrestling. It will only come as Jacob grapples with God and he walks in this new identity, Israel. It will only come out of a place of humility and surrender and pain. In Jacob's renaming is his renewal. Jacob's life was forever changed. Not from the glory of Bethel, but from the dirt of Mahanaim. 
Jacob's life is forever changed, not in the prestige of the blessing he received, but in the pain of wrestling with God. We love mountaintops. We love altar moments when God speaks blessing and promise and increase, but our life isn't changed there. Our life is changed when we wrestle with God. Our life is changed when we allow him to shed the old identity that leads to death and destruction and replace it with a new name, with a new identity, with a new calling. The promise follows the pain of wrestling with God. I want to challenge our idea of blessing. God's blessings don't look like the world's blessings. Jacob was forever changed to walk in discomfort for the rest of his life. Jacob was forever changed to walk in purpose with a limp. What if God's best for your life isn't a life of ease, but a life with a limp? What if his blessing will forever carry with it the addition of pain? Will we still praise him for it? Will we still call ourselves and our situation blessed? I want to challenge our idea of blessing. If the only favor that we ever walk in is that God has saved us, will that be enough? If you search the definition of blessing, <laughs> it pushes you back to the root word, bless. And one of the definitions is this, to confer prosperity or happiness upon. And I think this is where we get so stuck that God's blessing is our prosperity and our happiness. Like God is some genie cruise director combination who's running around in front of us with like bubbles and rainbows and lollipops to keep us happy. And he's there to like clear obstacles and to make sure we don't stub our toe because then we throw a tantrum like a toddler. But that's the fifth definition of the word bless. It follows these to hallow or consecrate by religious rite or word, to hallow with the sign of the cross, to invoke divine care for, to praise or glorify, to speak well of and approve. I believe the real blessing that Jacob walked out was a life changed, holy, set apart, sanctified by being in the presence of God. The real blessing was that he had a new identity and a new purpose. And if that was all that happened, that Jacob went from a place of being a manipulator and a deceiver to being in a right relationship with God, would we still call him blessed? I hope so. We can't paint God with the world's paintbrush. We can't attribute to him the value system and the metrics that our world uses to define success and blessing. God's blessing included a limp. God's blessing included pain. It was a heart change of humility and surrender, and it led to a future that Jacob didn't even get to see. As a pastor, I hear all the time, I want to have a right relationship with God so that he'll bless me. Friends, he already has. Jesus went to the cross. He offered us salvation and forgiveness. He sanctified us through grace. He's promised us his presence, his strength, his provision for our times of need, his wisdom, 
his protection, his righteousness. We are blessed. So the question I want to throw back to you to ponder today is this. Do you believe it? And if you do, are you walking worthy of that call? Are you walking in humility and surrender, even if it demands a limp? Let me pray for you. So God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we are blessed. And our blessing doesn't mean that we have to have full bank accounts or the best or most luxurious. Our blessing comes because you have chosen us adopted us. You've called us beloved and friend. And God, we choose to remind ourselves that that is enough. And God, we know that your ways are so much better than our ways. And just like Jacob didn't live to see the fruition of the promise, as you took all of his sons to create a nation. That God, you are working things out in our lives in ways that we may never see. And so we choose to believe and remind ourselves today that you are good and that when we walk with you, when we walk in surrender to you and we allow you to change us, to bring a new identity to us, to shed off the one that leads to death and destruction, that we are blessed. We're blessed because we have you. Remind us of it today in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for joining us, friends.